Pod, 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 pod. Rugby pod. Hello and welcome back to the Rugby Pod. Big Jim and Goody are with me as usual. We'll be discussing all the major talking points from the Champions Cup quarterfinals and chatting to Leinster and Ireland's Jimmy O'Brien. Plus, we'll be taking a look at the TMO bunker and how the South African teams are all out of the competition. So settle back, enjoy, and make sure you're subscribed on Spotify. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Jim, people want to know what happened. Where were you? Embarrassing. Well, I heard the podcast last week. Big shout out to Ben Youngs. Thought he held the fort very well, and Semi Ran Randra as well. Really enjoyed it. There's nothing more to tell apart from I needed a a week, two weeks to re-collaborate, re-calibrate and collaborate at the same time. I just needed some time off. The fear wasn't that high, Andrew, as you said, one night only. Yes, I wasn't very well in Hong Kong and I fronted up and you know that I fronted up as captain of the My Name's Lolly team on a Wednesday where literally... There was stuff seeping out of every orifice and <laughs> I turned up and fronted up to every single event, but that had no reason. I needed a week off to recalibrate the nah, mind. Nah. Yeah, it was. I know you're not having this. Not having it, mate. You're soft. As Ben Young said, you used to lead the charge on the piss for the second team and the under 21s and all that stuff at Leicester. And just, it's, it's okay to admit it, Jim. You, you've grown up, you're 40, you can't handle more than one night out and you, you had the shits. Well, that's true. I mean, the fact that I can't handle more than one night out and that I've gone soft, that is undeniably truth compared to what I was and what I used to be. But this was more about just having a bit of time. I, I couldn't face watching any more rugby, I'll be honest. Like, As in, we had the Six Nations and it was a busy period. Andrew, we know that you're a workaholic, a money I mean, a workaholic. We know that you've got a fuel... That Range Rover, which isn't electric, so therefore there's a lot of fuel that needs to go into it. You've got a nanny, you've got a chef, you're going on holiday again. There's a lot going, as in for me, I just needed. And I had to take that time, and I'm happy I did, because I've come back, I'm fully charged, I'm ready to go, I've watched rugby at the weekend, and I would say it's borderline that I've missed you. Really? Oh, that's that's nice. Yeah, 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 just borderline. But I did enjoy the show last week, Ben Young's the most capped England player. He was very good, which we knew he would be. Yeah, I'm back. I'm back. For for those of you who missed me, no one's asked. No, I've not seen anyone. But I am back and with a vengeance and with some serious insight, banter, knowledge is insight as well. What else have we got for you? Do you want us to tell you we missed you last week or? Yeah. We, we missed, missed you, you, mate. We missed you. Youngsy was amazing and he was good fun, but it's never quite the same, isn't it? When the band's not fully together. I enjoyed Ben Young's. But if you want me to say it, Jim, I did miss you. Can we go back a little bit? Can we go back to Hong Kong just no. to touch on it? No, I've forgotten about it all. What happened? <laughs> Andrew, well, 
I thought four or five in the morning was loose when someone's rocking in at 11 o'clock for breakfast. What? Again, and we've seen that in my... Yes, yes. And that wasn't me. I was having breakfast. I mean, albeit I'd only been a couple of hours, but I was down for breakfast at nine. But we're not going to get too much into that. But in terms of Hong Kong as a place, because it's back open, it's where heaven and hell meet. And Andrew, as we know, we've been going back on forth on a couple of emails with some of the good people out there. Big shout out to Martin Murray who made us turn left. He made us turn left on the plane. And we can maybe talk about how difficult I find travel, but big shout out to Cathay Pacific. A big shout out to the Hong Kong Rugby Union as well, who've been through a torrid time. A load of staff laid off. We know that the Sevens is the heartbeat of what, well, effectively Hong Kong is, is the heartbeat, is around the Sevens, which they've not had since 2019 when we were last there. Yes, they had one in November. A lot of good people there. And we obviously played the charity game. Uh, Laurier Sports, Captain Goody, and myself, my name's Doddy Foundation, and just a lot of good people who meet in the centre of the universe and cannot wait to leave and <laughs> go back in a year's time. So big shout out to everyone in Hong Kong. We're back, we're fresh, and we're happy. Can I just clarify, you guys both pulled on the boots again and played a game? Uh, loosely, loosely. It was a game of touch. Okay. And as, you know, as we know, Andy Rowe, I can't run anymore. I never could run anywhere. I used to waddle, but... The pins and plates in the ankle means I couldn't run properly. There's big Jim Hamilton. We can perhaps rewind it to when the kits got dished out. And this is the worst thing in the world, right? So the kits got dished out. We did it a few years ago and the kit was quite friendly. It was like, you know, you ex-players, not the skin, skin tight sevens kit. It was, it was like stuff you go and buy in a club shop. So it was fine. Like there was plenty of space for me to breathe and Jason Leonard could fit his extra pouch in there as well. This year, oh my shirts. <laughs> Oh, my shirt's tighter than you've ever seen in your life. It was a very humbling experience, Andy Rowe. I'll talk about that. Looking at myself in the mirror with a tight shirt on. <laughs> the funny thing is, though, there was no mirror. There, like, <laughs> there was no mirror, and he's looking down, and you're going to have to excuse the French if you can say excuse the French or the language. And I don't know how honest to be on here, but we are pretty honest. Why go back to any other way than not being honest? He's looked down and then he's looked at me and said, tell my belly that. <laughs> I said, tell your belly that. I said, tell your tits that. I said, they literally, they're hanging. Like they were hanging down the side. They were like udders. I said, the belly, the belly we can deal with. It was. <laughs> and the pe people, you could hear them laughing. You could, and I don't know whether they were laughing at me because the stick man. <laughs> they were they were laughing at both of us, <laughs> like we were both different ends of the spectrum, right? Because you, as we know, you've got all these illnesses, you've had the shits. You look like a bag of bones in a plastic bag, mate. It was fucking awful. <laughs> like, it was... I didn't look great. I'll be honest, but I didn't say anything about it. I, I was looking down, and my knees looked like my ankles, and my ass looked like my ankles, and my knees looked like my elbows. I was all bones, and off the back of that picture now. I have said, to, I've got to put on weight, right? As in, I'm not, I mean, I'm 118 kgs, 116 kgs, maybe 103 after Hong Kong, but generally sit around 115, 118. I've looked at that photo and I've thought, I need to put on some muscle mass. We looked awful, didn't we? Like both ends of the spectrum. A charity. Yeah, it's for charity, for the kids. And it was for my name's Doddy. And it wasn't about us, even though it kind of was about us because we were the two captains and everyone was laughing at us. But next year, when we go back, Andrew Good is going to be lean and I'm going to be. I don't know how I don't know how big you can get in a year. Okay, I'll maybe do the rock diet and I can go back maybe a couple of stone heavier. I know speaking to you guys afterwards, you, you obviously found the travel difficult, similar to the South Africans in the Champions Cup. I understand people's point of view, but then you've got to go back to the last 16. Think about Paul Munster, right? They're flown out 
to Durban, and it's taken them three weeks to get there, effectively. Let's say four weeks. They've been on the piss after the Six Nations as well. And they had to play in 25, 28, call it 35 degrees of heat with humidity in Durban last week. And ultimately, they got sunburnt, they had sunstroke, they lost the game. The Sharks didn't complain about that. And I don't think they're using it as an excuse, but, you know, Harlequins, same thing, went down to Cape Town. And it is a fact, right? It's a factor of the tournament. And it's something that everyone's known since day one. So the fact that all three South African teams have lost this weekend, and they did have brutal travel. They're talking about, you know, Oxenche and Etzebeth and all these monsters having to fly economy and doing about four flights to get from South Africa to England, which a stop off in Germany and all this stuff. And I get it doesn't help that it's back-to-back weeks. You can't pre-book because you don't know whether you're going to win the game, where you're going to be. But, you know, that is a fact of where we're at with the competition. You know, people wanted the South African teams to join. Obviously, the South African teams wanted to join. They've added a, a huge amount of quality to the competition, but unfortunately, all three of their entries have gone out in the quarterfinals. Obviously, the Bulls went out in the last 16 as well, but Munster fans could go, well, hold on a minute, we had to go over there last week, and no doubt the conditions affected them. So it goes both ways, but you know, you make your luck, don't you? And if you'd have qualified as Leinster had as first seeds, you get a home game all the way through to the final. On the travel, right? And I'm a person that genuinely always has and always will suffer with travel, not just the size of the seats, but I feel rubbish. After I've travelled, I don't feel great. And this, like you just said there, we kind of knew that going into the Champions Cup, the URC. There's a number of things, right? So try and keep it positive and we'll get on to that. But the negativities around this and they need to sort it out, don't they? One is the carbon footprint. I fly a lot. I travel a lot. So it's not me being hypocritical when I talk about it. Corporate Jim here, come on. No, that's James. That's Corporate James. (laughs) Corporate James, sorry. I'm the middleman at the minute. But there is that. There's a carbon footprint that this is leaving on there. And we know that there's this big play globally around this stuff. But also it's the the travel. Like we've seen Ivan Roos collapsed after being on a plane because he did something to his lung. Not that because he flew, but I'm not, I'm telling you now that that would have had something to do with it. 100%. Uh, Jake White as well got wheeled off the plane in a wheelchair, but I mean, it was something, it was an underlying health condition, something to do with his appendix. And I'm not saying that these are the reasons why, but there is an element of kind of danger when you're an athlete and you're traveling that much and you listen to people who are on the road in different industries, entertainment, comedy. I mean, they're obviously doing other things as well, <laughs> as opposed to just eating and drinking. But like, having to take IV drips and stuff like that because they've run down their immune systems down. I'm going a little bit deep and I'm segueing here. I'm just telling you now that the kind of travel that these teams are doing, it isn't just the Champions Cup for the South African teams, remember. Mm. The URC, they're travelling every week as well to Italy, uh, to Scotland, to Wales, Ireland as well. And they're not easy places to get to. Yes, the time zones are the same. Something needs to be done. Someone, someone needs to call it out. Maybe I'm calling them out about it, but I just don't think it's sustainable because it does catch up on you at some point. And this is the whole thing of having the South African teams in and also corporate James, this push to try and globalise the season, but then make these tournaments, align them, not go from the Six Nations into the URC, then into the Champions Cup, then into the URC, then into the Premiership and then into the Champions Cup. It's just ridiculous. It's Mm. ridiculous for the players to deal with and it's ridiculous with the amount of travel. They need to kind of segment what they're doing, make it easier for us to consume, but make it not safer, but just make the travel less for the players. It's, It's absolutely ridiculous Something needs to be done about that. We need to call it out because it is not sustainable. What I will say then, Jim, is I do remember in the sort of Hong Kong hangover few days after I got back, you were posting a picture of you and Sir Bill, weren't you? 
It was, yeah, and he called me his vice captain. Yeah, yeah. That's, yeah. that's Bill Beaumont, wide awake. He said he said he'd been awake for two weeks. Yeah, so, <laughs> so that's what he said to me. You can talk about it on here, but there's the man, and we've spoken about it for a long time, haven't we? Around the global season, the calendar, we had Gus Pichot on here. There's there's been no change, right? There needs to be a big reset. Jim Hamilton, you work for World Rugby, Corporate James, and um, let's hear it. You and Bill, World Rugby don't have a say. Andrew, as you know, World Rugby don't have a say. They're the governing body and the federation, if you like. It's the other. It's like the EPCR, the Prem, the URC, Sansa. They all work in their own different places. That's what I'm saying. That's where World Rugby should be taking control of everything on a number of different things, centralising it to say, this is the way that we're going to run the game from now on, if that is something that everyone is going to buy into, which they need to, don't they? They have to. Well, let's dig into the games a little bit now then. We've mentioned the South African teams. The Stormers, were you surprised that they were out of it essentially by half time against Exeter? Yes. I know that you are different with Exeter than I am, but I called them out at the beginning of the season. One, I didn't think that they would do anything this season in the Premiership. I thought they might struggle. And then you see the turnover of players. Obviously, Stuart Hogg announces his retirement. Sam Simmons is leaving. Joe Simmons is leaving. They lost Flaherty last year. Dave Ewers is off to Ulster. Johnny Hill left at the end of last season. Luke Cowan-Dickey's off. Jack Knoll's not staying. It's actually ridiculous when you think of the amount of players that are leaving. So there's clearly a little bit of unrest. But we saw that's the best performance I've seen, that first half especially, I've seen them put in maybe in a couple of years. We've not seen that all year. You know, I did the game, the Montpellier game last weekend, and they were all right. They played against 14 men. They had some really sparkling moments. They get the win by hook or by crook at the end. And I think the emotion of last week and how they ended up winning that game, even though it was a draw, and we spoke about it on the podcast, you can't have a draw in a competition and you go through on try scored after extra time. You need a definitive, we beat this team for this reason, whether it's on penalty kicks or whatever. But... I think, you know, the emotion of that and then having a home quarterfinal, and that's the fullest I've ever seen Sandy Park since it's been revamped as well. So that far stand on the, the opposite side, it's the fullest I've ever seen it. You know, you get into a quarterfinals, you've got the Stormers coming over who play a good brand of rugby. You know, there is all that emotion around. And I was chatting to Hoggy on the side of the pitch last week. You know, he was fit to play against Montpellier, couldn't get in because he hadn't really trained enough this week. He's on the bench. There is a changing of the guard at Exeter with a lot of those players leaving. And that's an obvious statement, but a lot of it is around the salary cap. A lot of it is around how they structured things a few years ago. And now they're like, well, we need to position ourselves as a team that has to regenerate because these guys have been amazing for Exeter over seven, eight years, haven't they? But every team at some point needs to regenerate new players coming through, whether it's academy, whether it's signing players in. And, you know, they have underperformed this year from expectations from an outsider's point of view, but someone like yourself, Jim, with the knowledge that you had, you actually called it, didn't you? Well, I think you've called it the last couple of years. But you're right this year, and a lot of it is around the changes that are being made. Some of the, the lads coming through, you only have to look at Tom Wyatt, at fullback, who is keeping out one of Scotland's greatest ever players and playing exceptionally well. He's not getting picked on, oh, mate, you, you're the future, here's a few games. This is a knockout game. Stuart Hogg, Scotland International, British and Irish Lion, you know, fit and ready to go and raring to go. But... He's picked on form and Wyatt again stood up and played exceptionally well. So, you know, you're looking at Exeter, Sam Simmons, he's been nowhere near his best this year. If you're analysing that game, he was out of this world. Ollie Woodburn on the wing gets man of the match. He was phenomenal. We've not seen that sort of performance from him. Jack Noel as well. And we're going down to Exeter to do a dinner for Henry Slade and Jack Noel's testimonial in a few weeks, aren't we, Jim? 
and it's coincided with the Wednesday before the semi-final. So I think it'll be just me and you getting absolutely battered. But big players stepped up and you need that in big occasions. Yes, they had the Stormers who, let's not forget the URC champions, even though, Jim, you thought that was the Bulls, right? <laughs> that was after Hong Kong last yeah, year. It was, yeah. Even though you didn't go to Hong Kong, what are you on about? Yeah, uh, well, that was the same time, though. It was the same time of year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, extra, they stood up. The big players stood up. The Stormers had their issues, but my God, that was a proper extra performance of old. And hopefully, for the likes of Baxter and the coaches, an extra of the future where they've got young players coming through, the likes of Wyatt and players of that ilk, you know, Scrum Half Beckinsall. You know, I thought he was outstanding. We hadn't heard of him three weeks ago, had you? Unless you'd done your research, you hadn't heard of him. So that just shows there is young quality players coming through and they will be a force in the future. But the here and now, they certainly have got the toughest of draws going to La Rochelle away in the semi, but they deserve their spot there. Let's not forget with Exeter, they've won the Champions Cup in 2020. Some people forget that because it was during COVID. You think about what that club's been through and the rebuild that's been through, the finals that it's been through, the Premiership final. To win that European Cup, that Champions Cup in 2020 with no fans. Yeah. Like they've got history with that group of players in this tournament. So having seen that, we can get on to the other games. I think there's a bit of a gulf between the other teams, but it's on any given Sunday. I love that phrase. When it gets to that point, it's different, isn't it? So yeah, extra have got history. It was great to see them do well against the Stormers, who we do enjoy as well. Well, Toulouse really turned it on in that second half, didn't they, against the Sharks? Some of their big names really stood up. Oh my God. How good is DuPont? Ridiculous. The level of rugby that they're playing, right? And Ugo Moller is their head coach. He coached me at Breve. I watched the game and I thought about how Ugo Moller used to try and coach us at Breve with all the offloading, the ball out the back, Don Lax, all this stuff. He's now doing it with DuPont, Untermack, Peter Aki in the centres, like worldies everywhere. Thomas Ramos at fullback, like ridiculous. He tried to do it with me, Barry Davis, like some absolute shitsters that couldn't catch and pass. And it's just a pleasure to watch. When it works like that, it's unplayable. And DuPont, he's on a different planet. Five try assists. People can't even lay a hand on him. He's just ridiculously good. I can't believe how good he is. You've got Ramos offloading with his feet as well. Like he's playing football <laughs> in the dead ball line. Yeah. It, it's absolutely mad. You think the World Cup around the corner yeah. and you look at that player like DuPont. It's easy, isn't it, to say, right? You could be lazy and be like, oh, you know, Anton DuPont, good again, best player. And I know Brian O'Driscoll's all over him. I saw him on social media. He was talking him up as well on the TV. Yeah. For any rugby fan, if you're a kid... Or if you're an adult, watch this lad play rugby. I don't think, and this is a big statement, I don't think I've seen a better player. If there is, you need to show me. In terms of all round, in terms of time, speed, his tackling ability, his kicking ability, his vision, he's there. I've not seen him make a mistake. And I try and pick it up just because I'm negative like that, aren't I? Not that I want to see him make a mistake, but it's almost like you want him to be human. And he's not, he's superhuman. Do you know what the other thing that really annoys me about him as well? Like, not only does he make no mistakes, he never sweats. How is he not sweating in about 25 degrees of, sun, of sunshine in, in Toulouse? Like, it looked like an amazing day. And he's not, his hair hasn't moved. He's not sweating. He's not even out of breath. He's a freak. He doesn't smile either. Even when he had that picture taken with Johnny Wilkinson, that famous picture, he weren't even smiling. How are you not smiling when you're with Johnny, who's in his prime? It's crazy. But they're, they're that good. And obviously they go to Leinster. You know, we are now at the, the guts end of the tournament with some unbelievable teams. 
and Exeter who are, you know, they've underperformed this year, but they had a massive performance in the quarterfinal. I don't, I'm not being mean to Exeter, but like Jim says, there might be that bit of a gulf, but to lose were out of this world in that second half. Sharks played some really good stuff. I was going to say, in the first half, they were good, weren't they? They looked good, like, ma 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 pimpy. He was unreal. Kerwin Bosch. Yeah, at 10, mate. He is, you know, he's not even in the reckoning, really, for South Africa. But he just looked so smooth and came easy to him. That try that he's created for Grant Williams from the kick receipt, length of the field effort, absolutely ridiculous. I saw you tweeted about it, Jim. There was a big turning point in that game where all of a sudden the French TV director has found a forward pass that I reckon's marginal, right? And obviously the Sharks have scored a try from it where it's really close. And I think that completely took the wind out of their sails. It is worth noting that kind of stuff, though, because obviously with the World Cup coming up later in the year, we're going to see a lot more of it with the French team, aren't we? The French directors going back, finding... Well, yeah, you say that, but I'm I'm assured by people hiring the game, and Corporate James, you should know this, World Rugby's finest. Apparently, it's all neutral. I don't know how you find a neutral TV director that's working in France, but apparently it's all neutral TV directors and everything like that. There's It's their own team that goes in there. I don't know. I, I I've heard I've heard otherwise. I, and again, I don't want to speculate. I'm just it's the rumours. But when I've asked anyone, they don't want to talk about it. So when I've I've asked referees, like they don't really want to say anything because they know that I'll say it on air. Not that I'm a Judas, but anyone can see we're watching the games on TV. The commentators are commentating on that, and it's not even fifty fifty. It's it's like obvious that it isn't someone from England or. Island. Yeah, they find things they want to hide. And do you know what? Let's actually say it. Let's call it out because in all fairness, you go back to Ireland with that try from James Lowe when he's, his foot's in the stands or whatever. They didn't find that picture till half time, did they? Supposedly, or the, the TMO didn't get full sight of that picture. So it works both ways. What I am saying is France have got a history of corruption. Just saying it. <laughs> Bernard Laporte, he's been done for it. <laughs> Apparently, how they got the World Cup, who knows? Well, they have. Yeah. They, they've got, well, they've got history. Andrew's calling it out. That's the facts of it, isn't it? Not that we're saying that this is corrupt, but no. we're, we're in 2023. We've got a World Cup there in a few months' time. We're talking about the biggest tournament on the planet. Like Stuff like this shouldn't happen. We keep talking about technology, trying to help out the referees, the TMO, the role that they've got to play, the touch judges as well. Yet the number one asset they've got to help these decisions be made is in favour of the French teams and then you can see the influence and look we you know we can talk about some of the other games like these French it's, there's a tribalism around their teams the game there the emotion in that and chatting to referees we know that it's difficult when you're in that environment anyway but if you've got the stadium on top of you, you've got the big screen that you, you're hearing the screaming, you're like, oh God, I've got to look at the screen. Don't look at the screen. I just looked at the screen. Right, now we need to stop. It's a thing that they need to sort out. Yeah. Well, they've got Leinster coming up, obviously. Where do we start with Leinster? So impressive against Leicester. Just demolish them. Yeah. I mean, it starts with Gary Ringrose in the first or second minute. You know, they get the kickoff back, go through a few phases, and then at Ringrose... Again, another one. Doesn't even sweat. Doesn't even look like he's trying, but looks so good at everything he does. Like You know, his ball playing at the line, and we've talked about it a lot about Leinster, and it's Ireland as well. And I kind of joked on Twitter that that Ireland team in blue, pretty special, aren't they? And you get a load of heat for it. But it's not just all of a sudden they've bought players in to do this. This has been a, a long process of 
from the schools level, and we spoke to Bernard Jackman on here when people are fighting just to train with the Leinster first team squad on a Tuesday, it is drummed in. And he's probably going back to the old Kiwi way when New Zealand was successful, how it was a pyramid effect of how everyone tries to play and coach and improve players around their ball handling to get to the, the very top of the, the tree, which is Ireland. And Leinster are pretty much the Ireland team, aren't they? Phenomenal across the board. You know, you're trying to find a weakness in them. I found one. They can't do a left-handed high five. That's about all I got from the whole game. Because if you see what happened between James Ryan and James Lowe, it was embarrassing. They actually missed, <laughs> they actually missed a high five. They've gone for it left-handed, missed it. He's hit someone else on the shoulder. But they were phenomenal. And, you know, they go down to 14 men when Caleb Miel Doris gets yellow carded. And then they absolutely maul the life out of Leicester, turn a scrum over. They can play any which way they want to, but it will be a banging semi-final because so can Toulouse. But there is one question mark, isn't there? And that is their temperament in a huge knockout game. They've only won it once in the last 10 years when how many times have we sat here and gone, geez, Leinster are massive favourites. On that game specifically, the two things that stood out for me, and again, we've not, well, we've just got to say it, were the centres. So 12 and 13, Henshaw and Ringrose, they found massive space on the hinges off first phase throughout the game, the way that they attacked in that channel and their driving game as well. But they were the two big factors. And, and look, we can go over old ground, can't we? You can talk about Leinster. And I get a lot of hate on social media by talking about the salary cap and talking about the budgets. Richard Wigglesworth referenced it after. This is an obvious thing, right? This is this is a thing. This is out there. And people are like, yeah, well, they're bringing their academy players through. It is undeniable the structures they've got in Ireland are leading the charge globally. Them and France, the way that they do things, there's no coincidence that Ireland are doing what they're doing. They're in the 20s, their school system, the production of quality players that are coming through, the fact that Leinster could put out three teams that could probably all win the URC. like that, It's undeniable. And a lot of us are jealous of that, that we haven't been in an environment like that. But Richard Wigglesworth, after the game, said, like, how do you compete with that? Like, You look at the two teams on paper, you've got the English champions, okay, and you've got the URC champions. And you look at the quality of the two teams. And this isn't me being harsh to Leicester, because I felt that I feel like they've been overachieving in what they've got. Leicester have got some quality players, but well, they've got Andre Pollard, they've got a World Cup winner. They've got Jasper Visa in the back row at eight. They've got Dan Cole, who I don't want to be horrible, is, is the back end of his career, but he's, a, he's been a phenomenal player. You look at Leinster, they have got, well, we can go through it, they've got Porter. Okay, starting loose head for Ireland, probably the best loose head in the world at the minute, arguably, or British and Irish Lion. Kelleher, Dan Sheehan. Dan Sheehan's starting, you've got Kelleher, you've got two British and Irish Lions in there. You've got Ty Furlong, you've got James Ryan, you've got Ryan Baird, you've got Caelan Miel Doris, you've got Josh van der Fleer, who's not even playing at the weekend. You've got another British and Irish Lion in Conan, who's starting. It's... Like, where do you want to go? Do you, like, we can go and talk about the backs. I don't know how you can beat a team like that. Yes, on any given Sunday, you can beat a team like that. But you talk about the English champions who've just had 50-odd points put on them. 50-odd points put on them. One thing I will pick up on, Richard Wigglesworth, and I love Wiggy as a mate. When I played with him for England, when we've been in squads together, played against each other a lot. He's a good lad, but... And I work for Leicester. Let's just put that out there. I wanted Leicester to win. I did find it a little bit ironic that he's complaining about 
the amount that Leinster can spend as a Leicester head coach when he was at Saracens. And he brought up the fact, he goes, yeah, I beat them. They've only won it once in 11 years and I beat them a few times. But that's why he's saying it. He is kind of stating what the issue is with Saracens when they spent and overspent and with all these things that we've gone through. Yeah. Like that, that's probably why he is saying that because he's like, well, what are we meant to do? If you can't spend and you can't invest week on week, year on year, this tagline saying then it is becoming a bit like football. I know we are going over old ground and people hate this. I love Leinster's model. I think that that should be the model going forward. I think if you bring academy players through, speaking to Bernard Jackman when we're over a few beers at the live show, I've spoke to him when I've interviewed him. Goody, you've had conversations with him. There's no pay reductions in Ireland, right? Something's going right. The government are involved in that, the commercial model that they've got. And that thing on the government as well, just for everyone out there, what they get paid at the end of their career when they get their tax back makes players want to stay. You've got second or third choice players in Leinster who would get big offers elsewhere, but actually it's not worth them leaving because they get the tax break when they retire, paid back to them, which is amazing by the government. So everything is in their favour to stay in Leinster, to grow as a team and as an individual. And that's why they are so damn successful because it's an unbelievable system they've got going there, which, let's be honest, is the envy of anyone else. Well, let's get the inside track on that win at the Aviva Stadium. Leinster and Ireland's Jimmy O'Brien joins us. How are you, mate? Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. Jimmy, class to have you on a late Sunday evening after what was a brilliant performance by you lads. Absolutely flying. 50 points on the English champions. We'll get straight into it. I don't want to say easy, but for yourself personally, how enjoyable was that? Yeah, it was class. The Aviva was actually, I know they closed the top two sections and stuff, but they got sold out underneath that. And it was actually class playing there. The fans were real up for us. And it's always good playing against Leicester. It's class history in a club and stuff like that. Uh, I would have grown up and some of my mates were like massive Leicester fans for some reason. So it was good to get a win over them, even just to slag them. <laughs> As in Leicester fans, what, back in the day when me, me and Goody were playing for them? Yeah, because I'm from Nate, so Jordan Murphy, obviously playing. So I would have grown up watching Leicester a good bit just because he was there and he's from Nate and I was from Nate. And then literally my best mate just up the road, his whole family's from Leicester, so they're massive Leicester supporters. So I uh, got them tickets for the game, but it was a good crack. Like, I always love beating Leicester because I can slag them. Yeah, definitely. I remember beating you boys in the quarterfinal. You might have been about 12 years old at this point. But <laughs> let's rewind the clock then. Obviously, you're playing at the Aviva a hell of a lot at the minute. We'll go back to the Grand Slam game, etc. I just want to know, how long did the piss-up last after winning the Grand Slam? Because we've seen a lot of stuff on social media. You young boys can drink as well as play rugby. So uh, how long did it last for and how long did it take to get over it? Because clearly not very long with the way you play it actually didn't last for that long, so it was only three days because we actually only we went back in. Yeah, but we, we went back in training in Leinster anyway on the Wednesday, uh, just because we had the Champions Cup coming up the the week after. So we were back in training on Wednesday, Thursday. So it only went Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. So I took Tuesday off, and then we were back in training on Wednesday and Thursday. Three days. Jim can't even do two days. I'll be Gary Ringrose. I'll be in the house, but the doors will be locked, so no one's coming in. It's like Hugo Keenan's dad, who was videoing it. And he was like so feared up when it got out. He was like so scared that like you will be so angry at him and that everyone's going to be so angry at him that it got out. <laughs> you know what, Jimmy? We absolutely loved it. I think everyone did because one of the things, and maybe this is a question, but more of a statement. As a young lad, right? Like you're the best team in the world at the minute. You've got one of the best teams in the world in Leinster as a club team. The national team, first team in the world, world rankings. But you've got some of the best rugby players who have ever done it. Why do we not see a lot of you? Why do we not see a lot of the characters coming out? We've had big Mac Hansen on here before. We've had Finley Beelham. Is there an old school element to the Irish set? What are the media guys like? Do they like putting you out there or do they want to keep you closed off and keep you exclusive? 
I'm not too sure to be honest. Maybe there is a bit of that. It wouldn't be like talked about or anything like that. I know Mac and anyway, he'll he's a good character anyway to get on anywhere. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I don't really think it's it's not like a thing that you're talked about, like not going to the media or whatever like that. But I just maybe some guys just don't do it. I'm not sure. There we go. Well, let's talk about nights out then, because we get over to Dublin a fair bit, and we always end up, for some reason, always end up in Copperface Jacks till about five in the morning. I need to find other places to go to. Where does Jimmy O'Brien go out in Dublin? Jesus, where would I go out? On a Sunday, if you ever go to Cassidy's. Yeah. If you're over here on a Sunday, Cassidy's with Rate the Ashes, the band, the playing there, they have live music, that'd be the best spot. That's unreal. Where'd you go out on a Saturday night? A Saturday night? I'd be more so going to pubs, like Toner or something on Baggage Street, it's a bit of crack. I don't know who's just up the road from that on Baggage Street. They're kind of the ones I'd be going to now. Devitz as well. Yeah, Devitz. You're over at Levy one night because he lives like... Don't remember it. No, no. I'm no. looking at Levy's front door here. <laughs> I oh, is he? Does, does Dan Levy live opposite you? Yeah, there's this, he lives just over there. And then next door, I live with Will Connors. And then next door, Hugo Keenan, Caelan Doris and Ronan Keller live. And then cross the way then the other side like Karen Frawley and then Robbie Henshaw lives as well just in the corner of the stage as well so loads of us in there wow keeping it close eh? keeping it close yeah exactly <laughs> there's always a lot of traffic going in and out of um, Dan Levy's place right I can't work out what it is yeah me neither me neither <laughs> I don't know why <laughs> <laughs> but hey Jimmy that must be awesome you've got a great crew of players what's it like as a young lad being in that mix you mentioned some of the names there which are known now on the world stage like can they go out like can you go out and let your hair down or is it one of them where there's been a big shift now in terms of profile so you've just got to do everything under the radar or not at all I don't think so I think you can still go out like people are pretty respectful you might get the odd people come up to you but it's still grand uh, you can definitely still go out and have a few points we uh, had a few last night as well just celebrating the win on Friday like so it was actually grand uh, yeah I think you can still go out and have a bit of crack good stuff let's talk about the game a bit then because you know obviously it started like a whirlwind with Ring Rose how good is it playing outside him at the minute because he is on fire isn't he yeah yeah he's playing unbelievable this year he's, it's in defence is what he's so good at like Johnny makes them read or shooting out of the line and if you're like a winger outside it's so good to play with because he always he seems to make the right decision so he's not shooting and leaving you like for dead and then you're on an overlap you'll always get your man and then attack yeah he's just been this, this season he's just been different level I think does anyone give it any chat because obviously Brian O'Driscoll wore the number 13 jersey and everyone's talking about who's the best player in Ireland is it Johnny Sexton ever is it Brian O'Driscoll but Gary Ringrose for me I'm not um, I know it's a big statement but like how good is he does he get any stick about being the next Brian O'Driscoll or being better than him uh, maybe when he was younger I think but not anymore uh, I think he's different different kind of player or whatever now but uh, maybe when he's younger and coming out of Black Rock I think he did a bit but no nah, not not anymore what's he like as a captain yeah he's class uh, he's one that you wouldn't say too much more so lead by example what he does on the pitch and stuff and you just like want to play from when he's captain it's actually unreal yeah and talking about yourself then Jimmy obviously you played wing you played fullback you played 13 in the round of 16 game as well didn't you when Ringrose was out what's your favourite position and are you happy being that player that can play anywhere do you see it as an advantage or a disadvantage? Because it can work for people really well, but also for others, it sometimes pigeonholes them into being just a kind of utility player, which you're not, but... I, don't I think I am. <laughs> Honestly, I couldn't care where I'm playing as long as I'm getting picked. Like I remember the first time I played wing was like two, maybe three seasons ago, and Felipe Capone was the back coach. And I came up after the game, I was like, don't play me in the wing again. Like, I'm not sure what I'm doing. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, I didn't know what I was doing there the whole game. Like, don't pick me. I can't do wing and he was like ah just wait just wait it'll be fine I was like no I was like fuck I hate the wing like I don't want to play there now obviously playing there 
most games, I'd say. I think it can be a disadvantage, but if someone's injured or you can get, get your way into a team playing 13 or wing or fullback or something, I, I actually like it. I kind of enjoy playing different positions. Well, it says a lot for you, mate, if you're playing in Leinster and you can play all them different positions because one of the things that you hear about any Leinster player we've had on or when Leo talks about it and Stuart Lancaster is around the intensity of training, not that you've had any, anything different in your career, but just give us an idea of what training at Leinster's like, please. Yeah, it's very tough, very quick. Like, it's just non-stop. Even, like, you come in on Monday, I know, and other clubs and stuff, they might have, like, walkthroughs and stuff like that, whereas, like, we go in Monday, you're training hard, like, you'd be blown after a session on a Monday, then Tuesday's even tougher. So Stu's kind of philosophy is training at that, that high intensity so that we can play it, because in games and stuff like that, you know, we're not obviously the biggest side or we're usually not the biggest lads when there's like South Africans and massive French lads or whatever. So like we're trying to play that a real high tempo so you just have to train us. So yeah, training is very tough to be honest. And talking about Leo Collin, Jim mentioned him then, obviously played with us both at Leicester. What's he like as a as a gaffer, as a head coach? Is he the one that's pushing intensity at training? Because I'll tell you now, when the going got tough at Leicester, me and him were on the sideline just watching. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's not really the one pushing it. It's mainly Stu does all the training, and he'd be the one pushing the intensity and get roaring at you if you're not moving and stuff like that. Like, yeah, so it's mainly Stu. How big a void is it going to be with Lancaster leaving, Jimmy? Yeah, it's going to be different. When I came into the academy, he just signed, so I've had no other like head coach. Like my year was that included like me, Hugo, James Ryan, Andrew Porter. We are all the same age of Will Connors. We are all the same age, so we've actually had no other like kind of head coach in Leinster. So yeah, it's going to be different, but. I think it's probably, uh, like, he has a class opportunity now in wrestling. Like, I think he's going to make them unbelievable. So, we've got opportunity for whoever comes into Leinster. I still don't know. Like, we're still not sure who it is. It's going to be interesting. Uh, one thing I want to talk about, everyone talks about it in terms of the production line of players coming out of the Leinster school system and everything like that. The rivalry between all the schools is huge, isn't it? Obviously, Blackrock and others. It's the envy of everyone else now looking at the likes of yourself and all those players you mentioned, Hugo Keenan, that have come through this production line. Is it relentless year on year? And are you, know, are you looking over your shoulder now seeing other younger kids that are coming through that are going to put you under pressure as well further down the line? Yeah, definitely. There's always, I used to say before, I didn't answer, there's always someone who's like class, who's like ahead of you and someone behind you as well is unbelievable. Like there's always good players uh, and it does come from that schools thing. I actually came from like Newbridge, which is like not really that well known out in Kildare. Yeah. We've a couple of lads, Jamie Heaston and stuff, James Tracy, myself, your man Sam Prendergast from the under 20s, from the 10, it was hitting them spiral bombs yeah he looks classy does yeah he was classy yeah, he was neighbor stuff so yeah i think the skills are just great like it's mental like some of the gyms and stuff they had and like some of the setups they have in the schools so i think when they're like they're almost in these like little rugby academies sometimes and some of the big schools and with that jimmy we talk about it on here we've had bernard jackman we spoke about it where we've been over dublin just over a beer because there is a real interest but there's almost like this kind of myth around the schools you've touched on it there Maybe give us a little bit more, like a lads incentivized to play through money. Like, what does the system look like? Is it, you know, when do they start doing weights? You know, what's going on that, that's making all these players come through? I don't think there's money or anything like that. Like, it's you're mainly it's just where like like I went to Newbridge and I was never gonna leave Newbridge to get me to go to like a bigger school or anything like that. Uh, we were all right, but like doing weights, I never did a weight in school. <laughs> we didn't have a gym or anything in my school. Uh, so I think that kind of culture only started coming in just as I was leaving, maybe. But they do now in like the big schools in Dublin, they've crazy gyms, everything. I don't know. I think it's just, I'm actually not sure why there's such a big thing in Leinster, but like it's just a bit massive. Right? Like Michael's, 
were terrible I think like until like the early 2000s or something like this and then someone just started funding the rugby thing in there and wanted to get rugby good Michaels and now they produce like three or four Leinster players I'd say every team that comes out of there seems like it is just like a comparable to lads coming out of school there's always fucking good players one of the players you mentioned just before from your area Jamie Heaslip we're on a podcast now we joke about it did you vote when he put it out on Twitter <laughs> should he should he start a podcast and everyone was like no there was hundreds of thousands of people saying no wasn't yeah. there yeah there was yeah I remember that tweet no I don't think I voted I can never <laughs> laugh about it though <laughs> You mentioned how you guys train at such a high speed and how intense it is right from Monday onwards. Using that as an advantage against those bigger South African teams and obviously you've got the French teams coming up. Is it something that's spoken about that you know when you do come up against those French teams and the size of them, that that could be an issue for you? More so, we just know that they want to like slow the game down and have like that power-based game mainly and we want to keep the tempo up because we'd back ourselves to kind of be fitter than any other team. So not that we'd be like, oh, they're way bigger, but we know like that when they big sides kind of like come up against us and how we've like, they'd be trying to slow down our rook ball, slow down the game and then like just get into 22 and then just like, it's so hard to defend in 22 these days. Like once they get in, teams usually score. So we just kind of talk about lifting the tempo and try and play on top of it, try and use it to our advantage so that like towards the end of the game, they're bollocks, like they're massive lads and their big pack is so tired that like it starts, we just can pick them off then. And looking forward to the semi-final then, mate, playing against Toulouse. They can play any which way they want, the power game, but also yeah. the exciting backs, the offloading game, obviously with Untamak and DuPont and those boys. You're going to do your research over the next few weeks, but excited to play that game, no doubt. Fearful as well a little bit because they are outstanding and DuPont's probably up there with the top two players in the world at the minute, isn't he? Oh yeah, whenever you're playing, even last year when we played them, it was like, you need to get two lads around him at all times. He's never like stuck or never caught. Like he's some handoff on him as well. Like he's so fucking strong for the size of him. But yeah, as you said, like they can play anyway. They have your man. What's the, the massive second round Miyafu or something? Is it last year in that semi final? I was chasing the kickoff and I was like, and they kicked him and he literally walked like right over me. It was the biggest. <laughs> I literally like, <laughs> back. I was like, holy shit, this lad is massive. Uh, so yeah, they can do that, and then they have bloody Dupont and Tamak. Ramos being on fire as well, like so. Yeah, they can pretty much do anything. But yeah, I have to do homework on them now. Well, uh, for the next couple of weeks. Jimmy, last question from me, mate. Uh, Ross Byrne, he is seeming to come into his own. I know he's always had it in him. Johnny Sexton has got a longer stand down period than usual. How is Ross Byrne coping? How does he cope with being in the shadows or having been in the shadows of Johnny Sexton? I think you can see it this season. Like he's kind of. Obviously, he wasn't getting picked in Ireland the last couple of years. Then he came in, and now he's second choice behind Johnny. And now, obviously, Johnny on fresh season, he's going to be first choice in Leinster. Like he's, I think he's unreal. I remember always when I was young lad, and I'd be training with him and stuff, being like, "How is he not getting brought in?" I thought he was unreal, like for the last couple of seasons, and I just everyone was so happy for him, like that he got the opportunities. Because like I think it was sure he only got it because Johnny got injured, or whatever, in the warm up, and then came on, hit that kick against Australia. And then he's been second choice, like the whole Six Nations. So I think I, I think Ross unbelievable. I remember I always thought I was so surprised how he wasn't getting brought into squads. Last thing from my perspective, I can't find many weaknesses in your outfit at all, really, in how you play. But I'm hoping you saw the clip of James Lowe trying to high five James Ryan left handed. They <laughs> I did. Yeah. Missed each other. That's their only weakness. <laughs> have you given them some shit? And are they going to have to work on that before the next game? No, I actually didn't give them. I need to give them a bit of shit. I only saw it today and I wasn't wasn't chatting today, but I will give them a bit of shit. That was terrible. <laughs> yeah, it was awful, <laughs> wasn't it? All right, Jimmy. Hey, thank you very much for joining us, mate. And best of luck for the rest of the season. No matter. Cheers, lads. Thanks for having me. Cheers, Jimmy. Top man. Good luck, mate. 
Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Free samples, free shipping, and our 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step and into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off at Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Top bloke, top lad, is, I mean, like you talk about those names, they're all living in the same little area. How good must life be for those boys? Winning every game, Grand Slam champions, they're all involved in it, aren't they? All the names that he listed off. It's not as if there's a bunch of academy kids. We know every name there that's playing week in, week out. What a lifestyle. They just don't get out for enough beers, do they? There's not enough banter on social media. Not that that is a thing or that <laughs> defines a human being. And that's why I asked him the question. I'd love to see more from them. Seeing the clip of Gary Ringrose, I know it was a snapshot. How cool was that? That it was Hugo Keenan's dad yeah, yeah. <laughs> filming them. But do you know uh, what I mean? You've got, like, as in Irish people globally, are loved, right? Because of yeah. the way that they are, like the accent, the music, the Guinness. Like, I just think we need to see more. And I know there's this whole thing around the Netflix series or whatever, and there is going to be a shift. But the irony in the shift is the fact that Mac Hansen, Finley Beelham, who are going to be the stars of the show for the Netflix Island series, they're Australian. I know they're <laughs> Irish, Australian, but I would love to have more insight into them because we know Irish people, like they're top lads. Do you know what I completely forgot about? And he mentioned it there. The semi-final last year, they put 40 points on Toulouse. They beat them 40 points to 17. So whenever anyone's thinking, oh, you know, you're a bit nervous about playing this Toulouse team, they ain't bothered, are they? I think Toulouse will have something to say about it, but they're just so confident, aren't they? Anytime they take the field, they're happy, they're skillful. He can play anywhere. Top blokes. What a life, eh, Jim? What a life. Success. Breeze success. Jim, what happened to Saracens, mate? They look like they were in it. Where? At La Rochelle. Where? The scoreline? Or what? Because they weren't really in it. I didn't feel. I know that they were close. They looked like there was a point in the game where they could potentially bring it back. At no point did I, look, I think Saracens were in it. And that's me being honest. They just got dominated physically. That was it. Like physically, and it's not something you say about Saracens. We've seen La Rochelle do that to Leinster a few years ago, and there was a big turning point. We know Saracens have been going through a different process around trying to evolve their game in attack. I thought the physicality, I thought the the desperation in defence from La Rochelle, the size of the bodies compared to the size of the bodies with Saracens and all the talk of Billy Vanapola going off after 20 minutes, you know, would that have made a big difference? I don't know. I just think the quality that La Rochelle had, we can go through the profile of that team, like Weenie Antonio at tighthead, Bulgarit the hooker, how good is he at carrying, by the way? Ridiculous. Big Willie, Little Willie Skelton, like every single carry from a standing start or even when he's walking back into position, just making gain line on top. And we'll talk about Bottia because my goodness me. <laughs> wow. So the, the physical, I'll start with the physicality and we can talk about the breakdown after. 
in my opinion, Saracens didn't really fire a shot. They, they were just completely overwhelmed by the champions and by the power that they've got. And again, we're starting to see more so now. I know the extra in the semis, but the gulf is just getting bigger and bigger between the French teams, Leinster and everyone else. Now, I might end up eating me at if Exeter do well in the semifinals, but there's a massive difference now between these teams. I think the big thing for me when you're looking at the game, you're dead right. La Rochelle absolutely monstered Saracens in the physical battle. And respectfully, Saracens, that's what they do to a lot of teams in the Prem, don't they? So it was basically like, this is what you do to teams in the Prem, we're going to do it to you. And it's, you know, when you get to knock out rugby, it's about the gain line, it's about the physicality, it's about the breakdown and who dominates that area and the kicking game. Now, Saracens, I actually thought watching the game and while I agree with Jim, it didn't feel like they were in it. The scoreboard really wasn't too bad against them. And I thought La Rochelle, you know, there's a few learnings for them. It's a knockout game. You're 16-3 up. Take the three points just for half time to make it a three-score game. And then just keep, you know, you don't need to score tries in necessarily in quarterfinals. Yeah, when you've got that bigger lead, you just keep pushing that team away from you. So there's a few penalties that they could have gone for, which actually kept Saracens in the game, I thought. And Saracens fronted up as well as they could. They, you know, they did stop a lot of driving lineouts where La Rochelle have had a load of success. But it was, I don't want to say men against boys, but it was that. It was what Saracens do to teams in the Premiership sometimes happened to them. Lavani Bottier ruled the breakdown. He was running over people when he had the ball in his hand, making breaks. He's a centre slash seven. But you look at how many turnovers he got and Will Skelton got at the breakdown. They just dominated that area of the, of, of the game. And Fully deserved the win. It's an unbelievable place to go. I was lucky enough to go and commentate on a game over there three or four years ago when Wasps played in the Champions Cup. And the stadium, the atmosphere is jumping. I think they've had 77 games or something sold out. You've got a French owner that wants the town and the sporting club, the rugby club, to be the fulcrum of that town to bring success. That's what they've done there. And O'Gara is an unbelievable coach. They've got everything going for them with some absolute monsters. Like we are talking gargantuan human beings that you know even Marrow looked small didn't he at times and that's saying something Marrow is a big bloke but he stands next to big Willie, little Willie Skelton and you know you've got a monster against a, a big sized bloke that doesn't look big those crowds are they just through passion towards the game or are they doing something because it's like the envy of every rugby club to have crowds like that right are they doing anything do you know that makes their crowds so good well I think in France and I've, I've been there Jim's been there and Montpellier is a lot bigger than Breve, but Breve was, the rugby club was the fulcrum of the weekend, right? So if you're playing at home, that's all they talked about. And then if you win the game, you're treated like a hero. If you lose the game, they're spitting in your croissant on a Sunday. <laughs> so it's a passion to them. It is life, right? And it's very similar in, in England to football teams and how they live their life and the, the mood around all the fans in football because it is a passion, it's tribal. That's the way it is in France. And La Rochelle, they're so far out of, you know, on the coast out there, I don't think there's a massive amount to do there. You know, we used to do French lessons at school and it was Ali Ala La Rochelle. There's fuck all to do except it's on the coast. But it's an unbelievable town that he's built this passion around a rugby club, invested in it, and people come in their droves week in, week out. Would they be coming in, in their droves if they were in Pro D Duh? No, they wouldn't. But they are because they're successful. They've got superstars coming to play there. They're obviously paid very well. And as Jim said, he's invested, the owner has invested a lot of cash in making this team as great as it is. And now it's about how sustainable is this success. And 
you know, I love what Ogara said. The start of the Champions Cup season, doesn't matter that you won it last year, everyone's starting from zero and you've got to go and build again and win again because there's a lot of players, like Hastoy at 10 was nowhere near the final last year, was he? He's been unbelievable for them at 10 this year. Ehi West started and they had dual police on last year as their two tens. So there's a load of players that haven't got that feeling of beating Leinster in the final last year. But you have to start your history again each year. You don't own the trophy. You hand it back and try and win it again. And last week they could have lost and probably should have lost to Gloucester. I don't think Saracens really looked at that game enough. You know, they they met fire with fire and their fire was a lot bigger than Saracens fire. And, you know, you can only credit La Rochelle to how they played really. And I thought Bottier was immense, as was Big Willie, Little Willie. Very sad to see him stretch it off at the end as well. Those poor blokes and, and women that are having to pick up the stretcher. How are you doing that as well? He's about 400 stone, the big man. Just on history of La Rochelle, and this is the positive for them. If you remember the scenes when they won the Champions Cup last year in the town of La Rochelle. Huge. It was, it was like football. Yeah. It's like what you'd see if Liverpool or when Man City won the league in the English Premiership. Like crazy, like unbelievable and not the same as Argentina when they win the World Cup but similar but on a kind of rugby scale isn't this what we all want yeah this is what sport is this is what rugby is I don't want to keep banging the drum around investment and the game needs money and stuff like that but effectively the La Rochelle owner has not he hasn't bought the Champions Cup but he has bought into the right to put them in a position to have that team and to unite a town like as in it's quite powerful when you think about it when you think about them scenes and then on to my next point that's the danger now for the other teams around La Rochelle they know what that feeling tastes like they know how important and the experience that they've got playing in these big games and Leinster Toulouse one's going to be great I don't want to say that it's going to be a walkover against Exeter for La Rochelle but they look very hard to beat La Rochelle well, we do have some good news for our Saris fans. We have some tickets for you to win for your next game next weekend against Saints, away to Saints. And we also have some for Bristol and Sale. Thanks to our friends at Framus Grouse. You just need to make sure you're following us on Twitter and Instagram to get your hands on those tickets. Well, let's have a look at those semifinals then, lads. Leinster to lose. That's, that's the big one, isn't it? They're both big. You can't disrespect Exeter. People will just go, oh, Lara shall win, right? And I did it myself last weekend where I said Gloucester have got no chance going to La Rochelle. Well, they should have won. So Exeter will take from that and they will study and they will try and find different points of weakness in La Rochelle. But the big one for everyone to look at will naturally be Leinster against Toulouse. You know, Anton Dupont, the whole Ireland-France thing, the two best teams in the world internationally. You've then got the two best club teams or provinces, in Leinster's case, from the two countries, full of world stars, full of internationals that are going to go hammer and tongs at each other. The thing is, and going back to Richard Wigglesworth's point, someone has come along quite recently, year on, year out, and beaten Leinster when everyone thought they were favourites. La Rochelle last year, no one, not many people, I don't think, thought La Rochelle could beat Leinster in that final. They did, and it took them to the very end, the last play of the game, to win it. But we're talking about a very different... Toulouse team who are littered with world-class stars, you know, load of French internationals, the front row are strong, France's first choice and second choice hooker, they've got France's first choice and second choice fullback, Jaminet, can't even get a game, he sat in the stands, they've got the best player in the world, actually Josh van der Fleer is the best player in the world, isn't he, but second best player in the world then, Anton Dupont, who've got Six Nations player of the tournament, you know, you look at the forward pack as well, Mirfu, 
I mean, what an absolute gargantuan bloke. You talk about Big Willie, Little Willie, those two going at each other in a French game would be unbelievable. But you know, he's going to come, Mirfu, with a huge amount of size and physicality, a Leinster team that will have to bar up. Of course they will. But what he does around the breakdown is phenomenal, isn't it? In slow motion. Oh, it's... that's quite ironic. Oh, the irony, the irony of saying Mirfu is slow, but he is very slow, but very, very effective. Is he Australian? He's French, mate. I think he's nearly French qualified, but yeah, I think he is an Aussie as well. Well, I think that Eddie Jones was trying to convince him that yeah. he is Australian. Who wins that game, Leinster Toulouse? Who are you picking? So you look at Leinster, four stars on their chest. I looked at Toulouse, five. Imagine six. Greedy. Six Champions Cups. Like deep-rooted history. And this is what I mean, like, as in, for me, the Champions Cup started slowly. I'm sad to see the stadium's not sold out. There's a number of reasons around that. But these are the games now that you live for, don't you? As in, to watch Leinster versus Toulouse in Dublin, two of the best teams in the tournament ever to have done it. You know, why is it not a final? Well, it's not a final because... It's only a semi, but yeah, I, I don't know. I, it's, it is a hard one to call. I will stick with it and say that Leinster look unplayable. They look better. Again, you look at the Ireland influence, Ireland-France, one and two. Do you want an answer or not? Go on. Well, it is early to be giving you an answer now, but I think Leinster will win just. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. I mean, it's meant to be at a neutral venue as well, but in the own country, so... You know, <laughs> <laughs> that, people are going to bring that one up. The record they've got at the Aviva... I don't think they've lost a game in however long it's been, seven years or something, that someone was saying the other day. I've got no doubt Toulouse will put on a show, and but Leinster just look, unless it's they just get a bit nervy, because their history in the Champions Cup, you just never know, do you? I think everyone expects them to win the final last year. You know, they, There's big games that they've lost when they've been expected to win, but I just think the whole of Irish rugby has turned a corner now, and you can't really rely on that. And I think Leinster will be too good. They'll win it by three. La Rochelle, Exeter, who wins that? Goody? I mean, if you watched La Rochelle last week, you'd say Exeter have got every chance. You watch them this week, you're like, geez, Bottier needs to be injured. Gregory Audrey is ridiculous as well. I think Exeter can pose some serious questions, but when you look at the power of that La Rochelle team, it's very hard to look past them. They got to the final two years ago and lost to Toulouse at Twickenham when Bottier, I think, got sent off, and it was a real contest until that point. They get to the final last year and beat Leinster, the current champions, I think, that they're trying to create a bit of a dynasty there. So um, unfortunately, Exeter fans, I'm going to say La Rochelle. I would like to see Exeter win, but I, I can't see it because I, I look at what La Rochelle did physically to Saracens, physically, and you look at Exeter throughout the whole season. Yes, they pulled out a big performance against the Stormans, who were very physical, as we know, but I just don't know how you can go down to France and do that again. But again, to Goody's point, Gloucester did. Will they see Exeter as they saw Saracens? I don't know. I think they will. Look, they're champions. So, again, I don't even know why I'm second-guessing it. But I do hope Exeter give a decent account of themselves. Well, Jim, the Challenge Cup, Glasgow. First ever European semi-final. Yeah. Yeah, big news. Don't normally go full noise on the Challenge Cup. I don't want to be horrible. But from a Glasgow point of view, who have been brilliant in the URC, under Franco Smith, they're flying. Physically, they were brilliant. Didn't have a huge amount of ball, but some standout performances. Rory Darge spoke about him last year in the Six Nations when he was absolutely phenomenal. I think he made some ridiculous number of tackles, like 24, 25 turnovers for fun. He's been carving up for Glasgow in the last couple of weeks since he's been back. 
Jack Dempsey again. Uh, they were full noise. They had Sione Tupolotto, Hugh Jones in the centre. We know the kind of form that they've been on, but Glasgow, very good. Just a really, really good team. Again, hard for the Lions with the travel and everything involved in it, but they're into a semi-final. And you think about where Glasgow were, change of coach, struggled in the URC last year, big turnover of kind of players. And now they're in a semi-final of the Challenge Cup and they're fighting on all fronts in the URC as well. So... Yeah, 31 points to 21 against the Lions, who are a physical outfit who play a decent brand of rugby. And an Italian team in the semis as well. Yeah, it's great to see an Italian team get into a semi-final. First Italian team ever to get to a European semi. Yes, it's in the Challenge Cup, but, you know, Benetton, they are the sort of shining light in Italian rugby out of the two teams, aren't they? Without stating the obvious, you know, they've got some... World-class players, Lamaro scored, didn't he? And Cardiff, who the emotion last week of beating Sale with everything that happened after losing Peter Thomas in the week, it was a massive performance for them. They'll be very disappointed at losing in that manner to Benetton, especially towards the end in you know wet and rainy conditions and the tryout wide by Marcus Watson was outstanding. So, yeah, great to see him in a semi-final. I think Toulon might have a bit to say about who's going to win this because they were unbelievable at times on Saturday as well. But yeah, you know, we've got two teams that have never been to a European semi-gym in Benetton and Glasgow. From a, an Italian perspective, you talk about the evolution and the growth. Like you're seeing it, aren't you? Like small steps. I know that the Six Nations, they didn't win a game, so it's easy to get carried away. But the performances and the fact that they've got Benetton, they were doing well. They've had some big wins this season in the URC. It's about winning, isn't it? It's about winning competitions or being in semis, being in finals so they can get used to it. That will be the real turning point for them because what other competitions have they got? Like, yes, you've got players scattered about, like Riccioni's at Saracens. Another one, Jim, Capuozzo. We didn't even mention him. He's at Toulouse. How good are they? He can't, well, he's injured, but when he's back as well, they'll be even better to lose. And Garbisi as well. He's at Montpellier. So, look, there's some Italians all around the globe, but the Benetton in the semis of the Challenge Cup. Good, you mentioned Toulon. You did Toulon, Leon, didn't you? I did. And one thing I'm going to say is Sergio Parise, he looks younger than I've ever seen him in my life. How's he was st- on the bench, though. He, he was, was on the bench, he came <laughs> on. He looked quick He looked quick in one moment. Well, he just looks good. Like the suntan, he's obviously on the oh. meds. He walks in with his aviators on, as you see the walkthrough, the Toulon boys walking into the stadium. He looked a million euros, right? He looked younger than ever. I'm like, what cream is he using to look that young? Because me and Jim look at... Brawl. That's what he's using. Maybe. More than goo. More than goo, there we go. So, yeah, I mean, Toulon were good. Baptiste Serran at Scrum Half was out of this world. You know, they had some some huge impacts. Biggers on the bench, he's not even starting, I thought. Charles Olivon came back from a holiday. He was ridiculously good as well. They were physical. They dominated Leon, who made some horrific errors. But you can only credit Toulon. Toulon have gone out, and after losing it last year, Pierre Mignoni's gone back from Lyon to Toulon as head coach. They're desperate to win it and, you know, everything's aligning for them. They've got a home semi-final. They look a really serious outfit and I think they want to get the trophy this year that they should have won last year but got dominated in the final against Lyon. So, a bit of payback. A decent day in the sun down in Toulon and, um, yeah, some sparkling ruggers. All right, shall we finish things off then with the good, the bad and the ugly? Yeah, let's. Plenty of good from Europe this weekend. We'll start off with Glasgow. Uh, we just mentioned them before. They're into their first ever Euro semi-final with a victory over the Lions. Similarly, Benetton, first ever Italian team to reach a Euro semi-final, beating Cardiff. One game we didn't talk about in the Challenge Cup, and we need to pay a lot of respect to this. The Scarlets yep. had a huge win over Claremont on Friday night at the Parky Scarlets. Massive win. I know Claremont went down to 14 men, but Sam Costello with the big spuds, 
slotting the conversion with two minutes to go from pretty much the touchline to win the game for them. That's massive for the Scarlets. They've come on really well over the last sort of four or five weeks to get to a semi-final, which they are at home with as well. It's going to be huge for them. So a big shout out to the Scarlets boys. Just on Sam Costello, he was in the Leicester Academy with Jack Van Poorfleet, Freddie Stewart, George Martin, and he was earmarked as the next big thing. And it's been a bit slower for him, but... Welsh listeners, and I know there's millions of you, watch out for Sam Costello. They probably all know that anyway. They do, they do. What else was good? Leinster, they put on a show in putting 50 points on Leicester Tigers. They looked awesome. Gary Ringrose, out of this world. 15 carries, 100 metres, six defenders beaten, one try assist and two tries himself. So outstanding figures from him and Leinster as a whole. Toulouse, get a mention in the good, and specifically Anton Dupont and Thomas Ramos. Thomas Ramos, 29 points and two tries. Anton Dupont, 13 carries, 101 metres, so one more than Gary Ringrose. Two clean breaks, but five try assists. Jeez, five try assists in one game. What a player. La Rochelle, get a mention the good as well. Their power game, Big Willie, Little Willie, was absolutely ridiculous. Lavani Bottier dominated the breakdown. They put pay to Saracen's chances in this year's Champions Cup with a big performance at home in front of a packed out house so massive shout out to La Rochelle but the good this week goes to Exeter Chief Chief Chiefs the atmosphere down at Sandy Park was electric they've pulled this performance in all due respect out of nowhere in terms of their premiership form Sam Simmons was back to his best and what I did like was the post-match scenes in the changing room that's what I miss now you've retired if you get a chance, have a look at it on social media, singing their song. But the Exeter Chiefs, a massive performance. Jack Noel was huge as skipper. You list off the names. Ollie Woodburn, man of the match. Outstanding performance from them all. And they march on into the semi-finals. So the good this week goes to Exeter. Yeah, yeah. And we're down there in a few weeks for a dinner, gym. So looking forward to that. Some rattlesnake. That's what they have in Cornwall. Me and Rave are out in Cornwall, which is effectively Exeter. But we had rattlesnake and you've been rattlesnaked. And genuinely feels like you got eaten by a rattlesnake <laughs> the next day. We'll give that a go then, shall we? Uh, yeah, the bad, few bits of bad. We're going to start off with uh, the Melbourne Rebels, Jim. Going down to Super Rugby. Didn't see it. What happened? Oh, no, they lost. They lost. They took 50 uh, at home to the Blues, losing 54 points to 17. The Reds as well, Queensland, they took 50 at home to the Brumbies. Big rivals going there. The Brumbies won that 52-24, so the Reds embarrassing at home. What else was bad? All three South African teams losing in the knockout stages of the Champions Cup and Challenge Cup. People talk about the travel, but... Just a bad look for the South African teams. They've got no one in the semi-finals. But the bad this week goes, no surprise, to French TV directors. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to say the word corruption, but Bernard Laporte got done for corruption. But French TV directors not showing replays of things that could go against a French team. They basically choose what replays to play when it suits them. If there's a slight chance of a forward pass or a knock-on for anything against the opposition team that's not French, they'll be showing it. Anything else, they're not showing if it's against the French team. So French it's team... It's quite smart, though, isn't it? Like, as in, you think that person running it is not a stupid person. Like, because if they know... They're like GMO. They're like another GMO. They've probably got a podcast as well. Like, they know what they're doing. If yeah. they're picking them things up, smart. 100%. So anyway, the French TV directors, they get the bad this week. Yeah, ugly. We'll start off with Claremont's Iray Simone. He had a headshot and got a deserved red card against the Scarlets on Friday night. Another bit of ugly, and I, I can't work this out, Juan Cruz Manila got absolutely sparkoed when he clashed heads with Ma Pimpy. He looked like he was proper sparkled on the floor. His arm was hanging up like this as if he was gone. 
He goes off for a HIA, comes back on when everyone thinks there's no way he should be back on the field. But anyway, he comes back on to score two tries. But it's just an ugly look when it you get knocked out like that and then come back on, obviously with all the things going on in around concussions, etc. But the ugly this week goes to Angus Blythe and his ludicrous headfirst, it's basically a headbutt tackle on Corey Toole for the Reds against the Brumbies. He got a yellow card, which obviously got upgraded to a red card in terms of that 10-minute rule that they use over there to upgrade a card. I like that. I do like it, actually. I do like it as a, as a law. But yeah, Angus Blythe, have a few weeks off, mate, because that is a shocking tackle, and that's why you win the ugly this week. Thanks, Goody. And you guys got some shout-outs to finish off with, don't you? Yeah, I got a big shout-out for the Bath ladies who are playing in the semi-final of the championship on the 16th of April versus Cheltenham Tigers, the mighty Cheltenham Tigers, so for a chance to play in the final at Twickenham. So it's a big shout out and good luck to both teams. I can't give it to Bath because I like Cheltenham Tigers as well. So good luck. I'm Cheltenham Tigers till we die. So I'm saying good luck to both, but mainly Cheltenham Tigers. Me too. A big, huge well done to everyone at Beckhamian's RFC for putting on some Easter entertainment with a 42-man squad with 15 different families involved, aging from 18 all the way up to 58, going against Park House RFC and getting a big win. So uh, Easter Sunday, Easter fun day. Well done to everyone at Beckhamian's Rugby Club. This shout-out is to the Army-Navy inter-service match. Kicks off this year with the Royal Navy Mariners taking on the Army Masters. And it's down at Roslyn Park on Friday the 12th of May. So you can get tickets and they're free. Andy Rowe, we know that you like a free beat, so you'll be there with all your mates. I'll be there. Yeah, so they can be claimed. So if you want to get your tickets, Andy Rowe, you've got to go to tickettaylor.com. Great, thanks. Uh, Yeah, and just for a bit of reference and a bit of insight, the Army... They're currently champions, but the Mariners, they recently demolished the RAF Vultures banter. Vultures. Yeah, the Vultures, it's shaping up to be a brilliant contest. But big shout out to all the military, whether or not you're playing or you're going or whether you're just in the military. Like my mate Bentley, who was in the Royal Logistics for years, just ironing newspapers and polishing shoes. (laughs) (laughs) Well, talking about mates, uh, I've got a massive shout out as well to Simon Dent, a good friend of mine who is running the Marathon des Sables, which is a 250-kilometre run through the Moroccan Sahara over seven days in support of Delalio Works, which, as we know, is a charity that Lawrence Delalio, the GOAT, runs, which teaches values of teamwork, respect and discipline to kids that are less fortunate and have been kicked out of school, basically. So massive effort and a massive shout-out to Simon Dent. He's a top bloke. Imagine running 250k in a desert for seven days in about 40 degrees of heat. What are you thinking, Denty? Well, you're a great bloke because you're doing it and you're raising funds for Dahlia Works. So good luck, mate. Do you know what I mean with all this, Goody? Like, I genuinely think we'd be falling asleep driving. So, yeah, good on you, Denty. That's ridiculous. Tell the heat that. Tell the chafe that. Tell the blisters that. Thanks, Jim. Thanks, Goody. Thanks, producer Rob. And thank you very much for listening. Don't forget to check us out on YouTube and make sure you're subscribed on Spotify. I'm back. Ruby Spod. Spotted pod, 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 pod. Ah!